Well, we have an esteemed guest with us, my first girlfriend and Brad's mother. Um, Becky Vaden is here. She babysat me when I was quite young and I fell hopelessly in love with her, but she married another and I can't blame her. He was a pretty good fellow. He was a pretty good fellow. In Milan, you know we were in Milan for about 18 years, and towards the end it was just mostly young adults, uh, students who had come from all over the world uh, to study, to work on their masters, to work on their PhDs. We had a good number of young folks, and we loved these kids. It was a great honor and privilege to to spend quality time with them and to sow good seed into their lives. Each spring we would always have a good number of students leaving and I would always want to send them off with a sermon or two. The first sermon I always liked to send them off with was exactly what is the call of Christ? What does it mean? What is He calling us to? What does He call the man or woman who would answer Him to? What is He calling us to? And how do we answer that call? I always wanted to put that in front of them. Secondly, why can we absolutely answer the call of God with abandon? How can we do that? Why can we do that? How can we do that? So it was a two-sermon kind of thing at the end of their sojourn with us in Milan. I always like to start it like this. Some of you be familiar with C.S. Lewis's quote. I love this quote. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Amen? And once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? I love the simplicity of this quote. I'm going to read it to you again. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? Of course, this statement is self-evidently true if you think about it for about 60 seconds. I also like to open with another one of my favorite quotes by another famous Englishman, Oswald Chambers. He said it like this, God brings us to that place where He asks us to believe Him and obey Him, but too often we begin to debate with Him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide for God or against God. I love the simplicity of that as well. You know, God says to us over in Isaiah 65, 1, Here I am. Here I am. And the invitation is implicit. Do you want me? Do you, do you desire me? Do you love me? Will you pursue me? Here I am, Yahweh says. Here I am. And the invitation is always implicit. You decide, right? You decide if you want me or not. Is in effect one thing Yahweh is saying there. You decide. Ball's in your court. If you want me, you can have me. If you want the world, that's a whole other thing. You can't have me in the world. If you want me, you can have me. You decide. It's always there. It's always there on every page of Scripture. You decide. Do you want God? Or do you have a different agenda. And I'm not asking you, and I say this a lot, but, and I won't belabor it, but I, I'm not asking you if you're, you know, a good church attending Southern Baptist. I'm not going to ask you that. That's not the point. 
That's never the point in the Bible. The point is, do you want Him? Do you love Him? And are you following Him? A healthy church, as Brad started this series, we're talking about what it is to be a healthy church, and a healthy church has to understand this, right? We have to understand what the call is. We have to understand how it is we can answer that call. We know it's high and lofty. It's always high and lofty with the Lord Jesus. A healthy church does not propagate denominational formulas. We exhort our people to follow Christ. Really. And again, I'm not talking about church going. I'm talking about following Christ out in the world. You know, on social media, at the university, at your work, at home. Following Him then. And a healthy church will exhort their members to go on with Him. None of us have arrived. Have you arrived yet? None of us have arrived. We all have work to do until we see Him, right? We all have work to do. So a healthy church will always be exhorting the body to go on with God. Whatever the next step is with you, there's another step of faith for you. And oh, guess what? There'll be another one after that. Oh, and there'll be another one after that. Now, if, you've, if you're sitting down in your spiritual recliner, you've got problems. This is not what we're called to. We're not called to this. We're called to go on with God. We're called to follow God. And those of you who are following God and have for a number of years, you understand just how addicting that is. It's addicting to follow God, to walk with Christ. It's just addicting. Because you know what? <laughs> he always shows up. You step out in faith, and He always shows up. We've been talking a lot about 1 John. And I, I said at a minimum, there are at least three things that are always true about a born-again believer. We learned in 1 John. Now, I know you have to know one of them because I hammered it for about the last three weeks. What's one of them? You have to what? You have to love the brethren. You have to love the brethren. You have to love me. I have to love you. The other two, that, the, the way I like to summarize 1 John, we obey Him. Which is just another way of saying we're following Him. Which is the title of the sermon. We follow Him. That means we're obeying Him. And lastly, of course, we believe. And we don't just believe historical facts about Jesus. We don't just give mental assent to what we read in the Bible. We believe in a whole different kind of way. The born-again Christian believes in a whole different kind of way. I believe in such a way that my life begins to change. And my life never stops beginning to change. I'm always a working process with God, right? His hands are always on the clay. He's always pressing down. You're not going to be the same next year as you are right now. If you're looking at Him, if you're walking with Him, if you're communing with Him. So I'll just ask you, have you believed like that in such a way that the old things have passed away and the new things have come? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Is that how you believe? That's what matters. That's biblical faith. Again, I'll refer you to 1 John. If you have any questions about 1 John, I'm happy to sit down with you and talk with you about that. But you heard Joe read the text. Have you heard? Have you heard these two words? <laughs> the most beautiful words that have ever fallen upon the ears of man. God says, follow me. 
It's the invitation of God incarnate. It's the invitation of Messiah, the invitation of the Son. Come. Come and see. Come and follow me. Have you ever gotten a better invitation? You will never get a better. You will never get a better invitation. Awesome, fearsome, consuming fire. God says, follow me. Is it true? Does God want me to go with him? Yes, it's true. It's true. My creator and the one who bled out for me on the cross, he has invited me to go with him. A romance, as we talked about last week, a sacred romance that will last forever. We are invited. Is it possible? Can, can a man of dust walk with eternal, uncreated God? Can a sinful man walk with holy God? Can a finite man walk with an infinite God? Yes! We have the invitation. <laughs> you know, religion is just too small, right? It's just too small. Christianity stands alone. There are all the world religions, and then there's Yahweh. With his invitation, come. Come and go with me. Every time the gospel is correctly preached, that's the call. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Every time you walk in here, the message is follow me. God is saying to his people, Follow me. So my very specific question to you this morning is, are you following Christ? I mean, really. Are you all in with the Lord Jesus? One of the truest expressions of real Christianity I've ever found, and it's very succinct, and I always say it to folks. I've used it a, a hundred times. John 10.27. You don't need to turn there. Jesus says, My sheep... They hear my voice, I know them, and what do they do? They follow me. They hear me, they know my voice, they know when I'm speaking, they know it's me, right? I know them, and in another, another verse he says, they know me, and what do they do? They follow they're always following. It's the first thing on their job description. You know, it's, it's who they are on Monday morning when they wake up. Follow Christ. Then there's my family, my job, other priorities. Follow Christ is first. You guys know 1 John 2, 3, and 5. Don't need to turn there. Let's, just let me read it to you. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. It just means that's synonymous with, uh, with, with following Him. To keep His commandments is to follow Him. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, the one who does not follow Him, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him, for whoever keeps His word, whoever follows Him, in Him the love of God has been truly perfected by this, by following Him. We know that we are in Him. It's our Assurance. We follow the Lord. You know, we're not like this goofy, sorry, crummy thing that's out in evangelicalism, you know, that He can be my Savior, but I don't have to pay any attention to anything else He says. I can do whatever I want. I can live any way I want. I prayed the prayer. I've been baptized. Nothing else matters. I'm good to go. Well, that's just false. 
If you actually read your Bible, Jesus said, follow me. Walk with me. Go with me. Be with me. That's what it always is. That's what it always is in the Bible. While no disciple follows him perfectly, we follow him relentlessly. Amen? It's relentless. <laughs> you know, I have no other priority. He's first. He's always first. He's never not first. We persevere to the end, right? And there's that great text, Matthew 24, 13. We endure to the end. We endure. We walk with Christ until the end, whatever that looks like. And sometimes it's really hard, man. But you know what? He's mine and I'm His. And I'm going to be with Him real soon, right? And my life's just about to blow up and get a lot better. The day I die will be my best. Thus far. We can ignore His invitation, but we can't misunderstand it. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. We're not up here trying to... This church is not interested in creating church members. Now, if you're led, if you're born again and you want to join this church, man, we want you to be here. We want you to be a member of this church, but that's not our top priority. Our top priority is that you follow Christ. And I know if you're following Christ, you're going to be a member somewhere. Might as well join here. We always have good food. We have good fellowships. You know? So, are you all in with Jesus? Are you a disciple? A healthy church, we have to know this about ourselves, right? We have to understand what's at stake here. We have to understand what the call is. Discipleship. We've already talked about this in this series. Discipleship is not a higher level of Christianity. It is Christianity. There is no lower level. You're a disciple or you're an unbeliever. That's the dichotomy in the New Testament. So it seemed good. You heard Joe read the text. It seemed good. You could open your Bibles if you like. To, you may already have them open to 1 John. Pardon me. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. And in a matter of a handful of verses, five men are going to follow Christ. Just a handful of verses. Only a couple of words are spoken between the the, the Lord Jesus and, and His men. And all five of them go. None of them hedge. None of them hold, you know, none of them hold Jesus at bay. None of, them, none of them say, I need to think about this. They all go. So how do they all go? That's the question before us. How do they all, how do they do this? How do you just go with God? What are some of the lessons we need to draw from this, I won't reread the text that Joe read, but we summarize here. This is John the Baptist, verse 35, and he's calling Jesus the Lamb of God, and they knew what that meant. They knew that that was a, another name for the Messiah. Verse 36, John the Baptist says, disciples, he is the Lamb of God. No questions, they follow, right? <laughs> they follow 
Christ. Look at verse 37. Yeah, they just go. They go. So I'm going to ask you, do you see the secret yet? Do you see the secret of being a disciple? Do you see, do you see uh, how the, the, the believer goes with God? Do you see it? Do you see it yet? I'm going to ask you at the end of the sermon, how do you do it? How do we do it? How did they do it? So hopefully we'll learn a thing or two this morning. Verse 38. You know, you've got to put yourself in these guys' sandals, right? <laughs> How do you approach God incarnate? I mean, you know, Jesus turns and he says, verse 38, what do you seek? I love this verse. Do you think they really wanted to know where he was staying? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. God turns and says, what do you seek? And, and I could just see them stuttering and stammering. Oh, where are you staying? Is that what they really wanted to know? Where he was staying? But you know, how do you start a conversation with God? And it's a beautiful thing. You know, they're sheepishly following Him. And it's a beautiful thing. He simply turns around and He initiates, right? He initiates the conversation. It's what God always does. He always starts the conversation. He started it with Adam and Eve. He started it with Abraham. He started it with Paul. And if you're a Christian this morning, He started it with you. Right? You know, don't you get tired of these, this, this fiction that we're seeking God, we can't find God. Aren't you tired of this fiction? We're seeking God, I just can't find God. The Bible tells us that no man seeks for God. He always starts the conversation. If God didn't start the conversation, which is another way to say He's sovereign, in the salvation of His people. If He doesn't start the conversation, there is no conversation. And every human, human being will perish. God notices these two guys walking behind Him. <laughs> he says, what do you want? What is it that you want? Here I am. Isaiah 65, here I am, what do you want? What are you seeking? What is it that you want? And I love this. Again, if you're seeking the world, He'll let you go your own way. If you're seeking Him, you have already been found by Him. Now that's big theology. That's beautiful theology. That should make you want to go home, get on your face and worship God. If you want God, you have already been found by Him. Because you don't want God, lest God has done the work. The miracle, we always call it the heart transplant. You guys know Jeremiah 29, 13. God makes, makes a, a promise that is good to every genuine seeker. I know this is to the Old Testament Jews, but it's applicable to us. You know what it says, you'll seek me and find me when? When? When you search for me with all your heart. I'm just going to hazard a guess. Some of you haven't done that. Some of you have not really searched for Christ with all of your heart. Not really. 
You've, gone, you, you've done a lot of things. You've gone through some motions. Right? And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this famous 19th century English preacher. I love this. I have this writ written in the margin of my Bible. Among the lost souls in hell, not one of them will be able to say, I went to Jesus and he refused me. <laughs> I love I love how Spurgeon has powerfully encapsulated God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, right? I'll read it to you again. Among the lost souls in hell, not one of them will be able to say, I went to him and he rejected me. That doesn't happen on the pages of Scripture. Every God-sought seeker is found. Back to verse 38. Jesus says, what do you seek? Well, of course, the question, it's never for Jesus' benefit, right? It's for theirs. He's going to make them articulate it. It's going to have to flow off their tongue. What is it? What is it that you seek? And how did they answer? Where are you staying? Really? <laughs> That's what you want to know? You want to know where I'm staying? Oh, I thought you might be interested in something a little more substantial than that, right? <laughs> they couldn't bring themselves to say it. It was like, it was too big to say it out loud. Ultimately, I think they're, they're, they're really seeking what we talked about last week. The thing C.S. Lewis talks about, that incommunicable and unappeasable want. Those are two unusual words, so I'm going to define them for you. The incommunicable want. It's inexpressible. It's too wonderful for words. Unappeasable. It's voracious. It's ravenous. It's unquenchable. I think that's what they wanted. That's what's on their mind. That's the question they want to ask. Are you the one that can fill my soul? Are you the one? I don't think it's, where, where are you staying? I don't think it's that. Are you the one? We know that behind where are you staying, that's what's going on, right? Are you the one? Are you the one? I think if they had just answered the question, Honestly, they would have said, everything, we, we're seeking everything, and we think you are everything. We think you represent everything. That's why we're walking behind you sheepishly, and we don't know how to talk to you yet, because we're in awe. The Lamb of God is here. The Lamb of God is here. So... If that is what they're really thinking, and I, I, I think it is, <laughs> their question does make some sense. Because they say, well, you know, where are you staying? Because this is going to be a long conversation, you know? <laughs> you know? This is not going to be like, uh, you know, some fast food theology. This is, a, this is a big conversation. This is a conversation that's never going to end. Right? This conversation is still going on up in heaven between these guys and Christ. They're still learning about His glory and His beauty and His genius and His grace and His mercy and His kindness and His benevolence. They're still learning about it. And they'll never stop. Yeah, this was going to be a long conversation. 
Jesus says, Jesus says, verse 39, Come on, I'll show you, right? Come, and you will see. And did you notice you heard Joe read the text? And I'm going to tell you right up front, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I know you have to say, Jim, Jim, how can this be one of your favorite verses in the Bible? You know, how can this be one of your favorite verses in the Bible? Jesus says, come and you'll see. They came, therefore, and, and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, who cares that it's the tenth hour? Who cares? I don't care. Do you care? No. Nobody cares that it's 4 p.m. And we know what the text is communicating. But why do you think, why do you think John puts that, you know, John's writing this 60 years later. Why do you think he puts in there that it's the fourth, that, it, that it's four o'clock in the afternoon? Well, we understand he's telling us, he's telling us that they're going to go ahead and stay with him. But I think there's something else there. It's the day he met God. It's the day that everything changed for him at 4 p.m. I love this verse. Some of you, I know all of our conversion stories are different. I can almost pinpoint mine. I know some of you can't. That's okay. It's not a, that's, not, that's not the issue. But I can almost pinpoint mine, right? <laughs> I think I know where I was sitting. I think I know what was said. And you don't forget. You don't forget. Why is this one of my favorite verses? Because, because John knew that nothing was ever going to be the same. And as Randy Alcorn writes, nor did he ever want it to be the same. Nothing would ever be the same after 4 p.m. that day. They're going to stay with Jesus. They decided to stay with Jesus. Verses 41 and 42, again, we, we heard Joe read the text. Okay, this is Andrew, verse 40. And he goes to find Simon, his brother. Verse 41. He says, we have found the Christ. You know, Andrew, Simon Peter gets all the ink. Andrew's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. You know what he's doing every time? He's bringing someone to Jesus. That's what he's doing every time. <laughs> you know, that's one of those well done, good and faithful servant kind of things. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. He is bringing someone else to Christ. Verse 42, he does bring his brother. We see that Simon, we know, we know Simon's history, right? He's somewhat erratic, impulsive, and somewhat of an unreliable guy. But what does Jesus call him? <laughs> you got to love this too. What does Jesus call him? Oh, do you, know how, do you know how these men followed Christ yet? It's all over the place. Can you articulate it? You shall be called the rock. 
MacArthur says, Yeah, he's a little squishy right now, but Jesus is going to turn him into a man. Jesus will turn him into a man. You know, a man who will stand and preach the gospel fearlessly and 3,000 are saved in the book of Acts. A man who stands, you know, in the face of the Sanhedrin who has all the authority to do whatever they want to him and he's fearless. Shall we obey you or God? <laughs> all right. He was a little squishy. But Jesus says, I'm going to turn you into a rock. This is what God does with his people. He, he changes them. Have you been changed? This rock thing, this is how Jesus is going to remake Peter. It's like the guy with the withered hand over in Mark 3. Jesus said, stretch it out. And he takes that which is malformed in us and he makes it whole. Right? This all doesn't happen in a moment. This happens, it's called sanctification, right? It's a slow process at times. But Peter is remade. The man who trembled before a slave girl and denied the Lord three times would become a fearless, a fearless preacher who would ultimately be martyred for the sake of his Lord. This is what God does. He, he just remakes His people, right? He turns barren women into mothers and harlots into heroes and whining farmers into valiant warriors and young boys into giant slayers. It's what God does. It's what God does at 4 p.m. After 4 p.m., all this stuff starts to happen. And if it's not happening... Beloved, I think we need to have an earnest conversation with the Lord. You guys know this. You have to go with Christ to find out who you're supposed to be. You have no idea who you're supposed to be. You know, I was a CPA minding my own business. I had no idea I was a preacher. I told the Lord, I can't be a preacher. He says, I know you can't be a preacher, but I'll turn you into one. I know you can't preach. You're an accountant. Accountants can't preach. But I'll turn you into one, Jim. Do you believe me? Are you understanding how these men went? Are you understanding how these men went? Is it okay? Let me ask you. Is it okay with you if God remakes you? Are you willing to let go of who you think you are and give yourself away completely to the Lord Jesus? Is it okay if He blows up your resume? Verse 43, Jesus says those intoxicating words to Philip, follow me. What does he do? No questions, no debate, no excuse, no hedging, no delay. Peter and Philip follow. In the margin of my Bible here next to verse 43, I've written something I'm sure I heard some preacher say, so I'm going to steal it. And it's absolutely true. It says, when Jesus says, follow me, he's asking for the rest of your life. He's asking for the rest of your life. He's not asking you for a date on Sunday morning for the rest of your life. He's asking you for the rest of your life. That's what it means. When he says, follow me, that's what it means. 
That's what we are talking about. And what does the disciple receive in return when he's asking for our life? Again, I go back to it. We receive everything. Every good thing is ours. Right? Every good thing is ours. Uh, all the fullness of joy. And, and, and it, in Him is fullness of joy. And in His right hand are pleasures forever. Psalm 1611. We get every good thing. We get God in every good thing. There's not one good thing He withholds from His people. Not one. <laughs> it's like, what are we thinking? Right? What are we thinking? Of course I'm going to follow this God. Of course I'm going to obey this God. Of course I am. You would be a fool not to. I think it's Luke chapter 12. When the Lord Jesus says, You fool, tonight your soul is required of you and who will own all that you have hoarded up? So let me ask you, do you see the secret to discipleship yet? Do you get it? Do you understand the call? Do you see how these guys could drop everything and go with Jesus? Let's pick up here at verse 45. Verse 45, this is beyond where Joe was reading. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of of Joseph. This is what, do you see this chain reaction here? It's just like one guy tells one guy, and another guy tells another guy, and another guy tells another guy. This is your job, right? To, to just tell the, the next guy. This is your job. Are you a disciple? You'll tell the next guy, right? This is what's happening here on the pages of Scripture. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. You know, that's what we do. We say, come and see. We can't convert anybody, but we can invite people. Come and see. You know, that's our responsibility. Hey, Jesus Christ is God. Just come and see. It's just simple evangelism, isn't it? Come and see. Verse 47 and 48, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile or deceit. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this, Nathaniel is scratching his head here. How does Jesus know him? Well, you know how he knows him. He's his creator. Right? He knows Nathaniel better than Nathaniel knows Nathaniel. He knows how many hairs are on his head. He planned him. He designed him. He knew him before the womb, Jeremiah 1.5. He weaved him in his mother's womb, Psalm 139.13. Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree and I've seen you every nanosecond for your whole life. I know exactly who you are. I know everything you've done. I know every hidden thing you've thought. But hey, why don't you come go with us? I mean, this is a big deal when you think about 
how much he knows about us and he still invites us to go with him, right? Just grace, mercy, you know, everywhere, grace and mercy. Jesus said, I saw you under the tree. Nathaniel knew immediately this is omniscience. And he confesses Jesus as God 49. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But Jesus said, oh, you're jacked up about this? You're going to see a lot more stuff than that. You haven't seen anything yet. And of course, this is what the, the maturing believer understands. We know we haven't seen anything yet. You know, I, I, I used to meet uh, over in Milan, you know, you'd meet these folks that were just coming to church because it was like, you know, obligatory. They felt like they had to check their box. And so they would come and they were, they were just bored Christians, you know. And this is really kind of an oxymoron. A bored Christian, in my view, is an oxymoron. How can you be bored when you're in an intimate relationship with the living God. You cannot be. I know we have hard days. I'm not discounting that. But how can we be bored? Andrew became a disciple. Peter became a disciple. Philip became a disciple. Nathaniel became a disciple. Do you see the secret to discipleship yet? Do you see how these guys were able to abandon themselves to Jesus? Do you see? I think you see they believed. That's it. They really believed. Not like the Pharisees believe. They really believe. They really believed. And it was worth their whole life to go with this God. It doesn't matter if it's martyrdom or not. And all of these guys will be martyred save John. But it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter. He's my creator. And he is Messiah. Doesn't that trump everything? I, 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 have, I have to say to you, if that doesn't trump everything in your life, then you have, you have some problems. If, if, that does, if he doesn't trump everything... I mean, what else really matters, right? What else could possibly matter? They believed he was the God of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 who spoke a trillion galaxies into existence. They believed he was the Genesis chapter 7 and 18 God who destroyed the world with the flood and annihilated Sodom and Gomorrah. They believed that he was the Mount Sinai God of Exodus chapters 1 through 14 who crushed his enemies. They believed that he is the, 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 the Psalm 97 God before whom the earth trembles and the mountains melt like wax. This is the God who says, follow me. And what is the only reasonable response to that God? You go. If you really believe, you go. You don't hedge. You go. Or you're simply an unbeliever. You're simply a non-believer. You know, they, they became these, <laughs> they're not half-hearted guys. They're, they're like, try and stop me kind of guys. Try and stop me. You can't stop me. I'm going with him. Right? I'm going with him. You can't stop me. Kill me. You can't stop me. I'm going with him. <sighs> they really believed. 
Discipleship, yeah, it looks crazy, it looks risky, it looks hard, it looks impossible. <laughs> but can I say to you, as a man who has imperfectly followed God, but has taken a few risks in His name, it is the most fun way to live. So are you following Jesus? Here's the definition of following. Going after Him, pursuing Him, obeying Him, chasing after Him, complying with Him, conforming to Him. Keeping your attention fixed on Him. That's what follow. You can go look it up yourself. Go look it up in the dictionary. That's what it means. Are you doing that with Jesus? Are those verbs accurate for you and your relationship with Him? Unbelievably, God's invited us. <laughs> He's invited us. And as a healthy church, we understand we've got this invitation to walk with God. Don't bore me. I'm not going to just do church because I should. I'm walking with God. Don't bore me with just being a church attender. I'm walking with God. And like we've been talking about for three weeks, and I'm going to love His people. You know, I am the best I can. And when I mess up, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and I'm going to go to that person in the body, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask Him to forgive me. This is what true Christians do. I'll give you a small testimony. Dr. Vaden preceded me at the seminary. So I had a, you know, I had a path to follow. Who would have ever thought two CPAs would end up at seminary? I mean, really. I mean, that should be like in the Guinness Book of World Records or something. But I was on campus in Kansas City, Midwestern Baptist Theological, August 4th, 1997, and I was sitting by the fountain that Brad is familiar with, and I was confessing to God that I was scared to death. And I told him, I'm not man enough to do this. And you know what he said in my spirit? And I never forgot this. I don't hear audible words from God. I'm not a loon. Okay? In my spirit, God says, I know you're not man enough for this. You've never been man enough for this. You could never be man enough for this. But I'm God enough for this. I'm God enough for this. This is why they went with him. Because he was God enough. Right? He was God enough. He was God enough. And that's next week's sermon. Um, <laughs> hey, if you can make it next week, come. It's just going to be a blast because we're just going to look at, at the godness of God and we're just all going to be set free, right? To follow Him if we're struggling with that. C.S. Lewis is almost always right and he's right about this. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever once a man refuses to follow God? What can he do but wither and die? Jesus says, here I am. Ball's in your court. You follow me. Let's pray together.